We're doing villains now, I'm Dracula. Villains. Dracula. Welcome to Pass the Golden Popcorn, an MTV Movie Awards podcast where we look at the various films nominated for MTV Movie Awards in various categories and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Gregg, a foremost villainy expert. And joining us today, uh, one of the hosts of Can I Kick It, as well as one of the hosts of Bevies of Bevies, is foremost puzzle expert, Colin Ashley. How's it going, Colin? It's going so well. I'm so happy to be here on Past the Golden Popcorn talking about villains. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This has been a long time coming. For Only sure. a couple, like, rescheduling things and then critical laptop failure. Yes, um, but... yeah. I believe I was originally going to be on a kissing, and then things get moved around. But now I'm, I'm here to talk villains. Yeah. Villains and kissing are two sides of the same coin, if you ask me. Interesting. Um, I, was yeah. gonna, I was gonna posit that they're <laughs> polar opposites. <laughs> really? Uh, they can be. Some would say that if you have a coin and you look at one side and then you look at the other side, you would say these are the polar opposite sides sure. of that coin. <laughs> yeah. It's like um yeah. I, I guess there's probably uh villainous kissing out there. Unwanted kissing, I'm assuming is vill- villainous. This is maybe not a road to go down. But, yeah, no, uh, we've definitely we've definitely our very had... first episode we had to talk about Kate Fear. <laughs> sure, so, yeah, I guess so. That kissing. is villainous kissing. <laughs> we've had so I think our our kiss our going through all the kisses, we definitely faced people that were more villainous than some of the villains that get nominated yeah. for this list. Yeah. We've definitely had that happen. Uh, but this is actually a good primary call Colin. I always like to ask ask guests like a question they're not prepared for to start this off with so what is your history with villainy in movies or otherwise uh what if i was just like i am a super villain i like work with martin shkreli uh (laughs) the worst people uh no i um my history with villainy otherwise not much i'm sure to some i'm a villain uh, I would hate to think that I have affected someone's life that way, but it is possible just, you know, mathematically, I assume. And, um, in terms of pop culture, I feel like I'm always usually not on the side of the villain, uh, more historically than, um, in pop culture specifically. Uh, you know, obviously the, I'm sure the anti-hero argument has come up before on your show, whether or not that counts as villainy but um i would say generally not a fan yeah wow i don't actually know if we've covered many anti-heroes yet yeah no get into usually... that a bit next week but yeah, like, yeah we've I... had like oh sorry go i was just saying like i bet they wouldn't give batman best villain yeah because he's an anti-hero yeah. <laughs> like it's sort of yeah they usually the, the argument there but uh yeah mtv seems to like stick pretty stringently to like 
we have a lot of times where like the villains like the main character but very rarely yeah. do we have one where it's like they're kind of like if they're an anti-hero they're definitely gonna slap a more hero than anti exactly yeah yeah. Depends actually, how you feel about the T Rex in Jurassic Park, I guess. Sure, yeah. Has there been a standout like heroic villain in your eyes? Uh, I would say um, I definitely spent a lot of our Grinch episode arguing that the Grinch was not a villain. So. Sure, I guess he learns a lot. I mean, I'll I will posit some of those arguments later on, maybe. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so. With that, we can start to get into it. The 2007 MTV Movie Awards took place on June 3rd, 2007, and were hosted by Sarah Silverman. Classic. Yeah. Apparently there was a pre-recorded parody with her reenacting characters from Babel, Dreamgirls, The Pursuit of Happiness, The Departed, 300, The Devil's Wears Prada, and Transformers. Babel is crazy, frankly. (laughs) yeah it's like that all these other ones i'm like yeah that makes sense for mtv movie wars babble i'm like okay just (laughs) yeah it's one of those things where it's like the oscars race showing up in the mtv movie awards it's like i don't know if there's a world where we need a sarah silverman parody of babble but i guess we have one yeah um famously this is a year where a lot of the show was kind of like an advertisement for transformers and they gave it best summer movie you haven't seen yet yeah and also according to wikipedia this was paris hilton's last interview before she went to jail just oh wow Wow. and let's see yeah it's also classic kind of um you know, staple for this podcast. This was Little Man Year. Um, it's very sacred, sure. sacred in our eyes. Um. Jesus <laughs> yeah, so here we had, yeah, the time I had to watch Little Man for this podcast. <laughs> I watched it like three times. <laughs> you were excited for that, and then I was so worried you were going to think I was good. <laughs> no, it's it's um, a horrible movie. Whenever I watch it, it's just so I can make other people watch it. But Talladega Nights won Best Kiss that year, which I believe we both stood by. Like, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at the list right now. I feel like, uh, the one you could sort of mount an argument for would probably be be Diaz and Law, though I haven't seen Stomp the Yard or Invincible in a minute. Um, the Invincible Kiss, I remember being like surprised that it was like it was better than I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah, I remember that too. Um. I haven't seen Little Man in a while. If I'm not mistaken, though, Marlon Wayans and Brittany Daniel, uh, they're not a couple. He's the little man, and she is just yes. someone who thinks he's a kid, right? Like he, non-consensually, <laughs> yeah. he non-consensually kisses her. It's I believe he disqualified it. That's what he typically mm. did. If Yeah, he should have been on the best, best villain list, right? He's a... He's like an escaped well, convict. He's, he's more of an anti-hero, if you ask me. Um, I guess so. He's redeemed. <laughs> but I mean, there's this is how the Grinch comes up again. Exactly. L- Little Man is kind of like the Grinch in a lot of ways. More than you'd think. <laughs> so is it set around the holidays or am I mistaken there as well? It's... I don't... Y- yes? No? I don't I'm trying think to remember. so. Right? There's, something, there's something going on. I don't think... Maybe not. I'm trying to remember. Oh, I no. feel like it's easy to imagine Marlon Wayne's in yeah. Little Man the only way... costume at like a Christmas gift in his yeah, hand. The only way to find out, I guess, is for all three of us to watch Little Man again, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, they changed the Little Man Wikipedia plot summary, so it's just a regular plot summary and not an insane scene-by-scene breakdown of the movie. Oh, no. I feel like we've lost a little something. (laughs) Maybe it's in the Wayback Machine. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure it's in the history, because I remember at the time looking through there, and it was someone going, like, some Wikipedia editor going, please stop doing this. Yeah, I guess that's funny they don't like it. Little man, big description. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, but... Alright, so I think we covered everything from there. Mike Myers got the MTV Generation Award. Um, that's that's good. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if I would have watched this one, because I certainly was a fan of their parodies. I love the Matrix one from Matrix uh, uh, Reloaded with Justin Timberlake and Sean William Scott. And then I love Tank Man Begins, the one that ends with Napoleon Dynamite as Batman. Uh, but I don't know if I would have... I, I don't remember this one. I definitely was watching in, like, I want to say 2009, Andy Samberg hosted. Yes. And then maybe, like, 2010 or 2011, Michael Sarah hosted. And that's when they had the uh, the bit with Bruno and Eminem that went wrong. Yeah, that yeah that makes sense. 2009, I think, is the one I watched in full as a kid, where I was watching because Andy Samberg was hosting and my sister was watching because Twilight was nominated for everything. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, and just, that's, oh, yeah, was, yeah. Sorry, I'm just trying to do some research on what the Orbit Dirtiest Mouth moment, what that even means. <laughs> well, Orbit Gum, no? Oh, but what is... Like, is it just like a dirty mouth moment I guess in a it's movie? Like, like, what is that? What is a dirty mouth moment? Is that moment an American mean? gum? Just... It's looking like yeah do you not know orbit gum i guess this no is maybe a, we only uh, have five gum here in canada wow they only get five up there um yeah orbit is like a type of gum and i feel like at the time uh you know mid-2000s orbit commercials there was like uh sort of a mascot it was this like very nice looking blonde woman with a british accent and she'd be like nice and clean or something like that uh, and it would be like dirty mouth clean it up with orbit was the uh, catchphrase actually, and it would be like people getting tackled in mud or something, and then they would eat gum and be like dirty but have white teeth. Oh, we uh, and then I yeah. think we definitely what it means here is like um, people with potty mouths who like curse a lot. <laughs> oh, I guess yeah, but like, like I mean, cursing, yeah, yeah. Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith one for Clerks too, which is odd because Kevin Smith plays Silent Bob, so he doesn't really have a dirty mouth. He's not talking a lot, but. Uh, yeah. Muse definitely has a dirty mouth. Yeah, Alicia Keys and Common and Smoking Aces, Steve-O and Jackass 2. Wow, maybe we have to get to, get to this one one day as like one of our one-offs. Just look at the yeah, we gotta watch. Mouths. Yeah, are there are there like a lot of like um, promotional tie-in one-off awards? I don't know about promotes. Like, yeah, I guess sometimes there was once uh, a best sandwich, which was really surprisingly good. Maybe best sandwich was promoting something. But <laughs> maybe a sandwich. I don't think that's yeah. true. Just... Yeah, I think it was just best sandwich. Um, but yeah, no. What year was that? There was. N- 19 oh what was it 19 1997 that's i'm pretty sure do we remember the nominees i'm very it was um oh my gosh i can't remember the sandwiches i feel so bad but it was it was uh um smoke five four rooms and and uh, golden eye golden eye and (laughs) yeah i'm pretty sure it was like a smoke one yeah smoke one i think smoke it was like a turkey sandwich and then for golden eye it was like a sub and then I think it was like a hero sandwich for um, 
Yeah. For, uh, okay, it was 96. Now. Oh, 96. Ham and cheese 96. sandwich for smoke. Ah, so close. Turkey club for four rooms and then a sub with tomato and provolone. You know what? There was not it. There was a hero sandwich in Casino. I remember I remember that. That's why mm. that's why I'm thinking of a hero sandwich. Um but yeah. I wish it honestly, I wish it was a uh, one they brought back every year. <laughs> I like the idea of Yeah, I was expecting it to be the Spanglish year. <laughs> I like the idea of like people working at MTV just like trying to find five or six sandwiches in a movie every year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially cuz like I mean like smoke one. Yeah. It's not like this was the most commercial category they had. Like just no, it was just, it was just like a very nice, like quiet little movie. Yeah, that is that is funny. It's like um, I, I they do like to have their fun with their categories. I know as like a sort of ersatz fan. Uh, famously, there's the best fight where Ruth Bader Ginsburg versus Inequality. For the RBG doc was uh, yeah one of the best fights, which is really funny. I got so confused because uh, near one of our last Kiss episodes, I was kind of hyping that up because I thought I thought inequality was a villain <laughs> that we were going to have to talk sure. about. Yeah, <laughs> not just the concept. Yeah, of <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a lot of overlap between best villain and like best fight. You know, if if they share any movie similarities, sure. they're going to share a lot of nominee similarities. Yeah, I guess we'll see, but uh, to to just get into it now, so for Best Villain 2007, um, the nominees for that are Tobin Bell, Saw 3, Bill Nye, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Rodrigo Santoro, 300, Meryl Streep, The Devil Wears Prada, and the winner, Jack Nicholson, The Departed. Great win, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Really solid. I really, really like. Probably this movie. should have won the Oscar as well. I, I <laughs> who who won supporting that year? Um, trying to think now. Two thousand six. Is it like? Ugh. Um um um. I shouldn't have brought this up without knowing. Alan Arkin. Oh, for Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, he one hundred percent should have won. Then was Nicholson even nominated? I feel like he must have been. Um, no, Wahlberg got in, which is great. He's also great. I mean, that's the thing with Departed is that like every single performance is good. Yeah, no, uh, it's a. Uh, I don't know uh, if you know this, but Mark Wahlberg has had a pretty rough streak in this podcast, and that every movie, sure. I, every movie I've seen him, and he's like not doing a super good job. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Planet one, of the Apes, Invincible. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ted. Uh, I think Ted, it works. Ted. Teddy's playing to his strength, which I think he's also playing to his strength yeah. in this movie, you know? Right. For sure. Not yeah. showing up a lot and and being quite crass. Yeah. Um, up until yeah, now, Ted really... is the best Wahlberg we've covered on this podcast. Yeah, exactly. So. That's very interesting. I'd have to look at the list, but uh, I would believe that. Yeah. No, this, uh, I really, really like this movie. I know, I can tell I like a movie when I'll just be watching it and everyone's I'll just pause it and just be like, this is just so fun. This is so interesting. I really love this. Like, I just love this. Like, this just like cat and mouse, but sometimes the cat's the mouse and sometimes the mat, the mats, the cows, you know, I just, yeah, I love exactly it. It's right. just, they're constantly chasing each other's tails, like the whole thing. And it's just so fun. And I, I really, Jack Nelson's giving like a really, really good performance where like, he's just clear. He's kind of like, um, he's a little bit like Tobin Bell where he's clearly like this, sort of older a little more like kind of 
not not like physically threatening at a glance but just has this like horrifyingly tense presence yeah he um was this your first time watching the departed it was this was my first time watching the departed i'd never seen it before had you seen it before uh kidding uh no no that was also my first time my main familiarity with it was there's like a simpsons episode the departed where skinner puts in like a kid like Topher Grace. Yeah, Topher Grace, that's who it is. Yeah, to infiltrate the, like his attention ring, and then it ends with the rat popping up, and Ralph is there, he's like, the rat is symbolism! Like, but... Yeah. They do, they play <laughs> Shipping Up to Boston in that episode. Of yeah, movie, I, <laughs> I also knew the song Shipping Up to like Boston would be involved with this movie at some point, but... Oh, it's so great yeah. also. I mean, the, I do... It's one of my favorite Scorsese's and one of my favorite movies in general, probably. I think it's so entertaining. I still have not seen infernal affairs the movie it's based on but i do like you're saying it's just such a good uh not caper but like it is like this cat and mouse game uh the sort of i would say cat everything and rat. that you know that's yeah um <laughs> cat and rat what is if cat is to mouse what is to rat you know like what's the worst version of cat it's like skunk <laughs> rat to slightly bigger rat um exactly um <laughs> But just the sort of everything at play between, like, knowing that, um, you know, uh, DiCaprio is working with the cops and Wahlberg is working with uh, Nicholson and the crime family and how that sort of plays against each other. Um, And Nicholson, like you're saying, he's maybe not, like, explicitly scary, but he has such a wild card energy in this that I think was surprising to people at the time. Uh, but I, I could be wrong. I mean, but it, it just feels like such an energetic performance from someone so late in their career where he's like doing crazy bits. I mean, it's also just like the Scorsese thing of where I watch his movies and it feels like my brain's on fire because there's just so much happening. Like you talked about Cape Fear. That movie is insane. Uh, a lot of it being what, you know, Thelma Schoenmacher brings to his films by editing, but like. Nicholson like throwing cocaine on sex workers as there's like opera blaring and all these you know harsh red lights on them there's the crazy scene in the porn theater after this like incredibly tense chase between Damon and uh DiCaprio as they're going back and forth and he turns around and flashes the fake penis that he has to Damon is so crazy uh but one of my favorite moments is like when he is like holding the gun and like inspecting it and he like points it directly at his face so crazy he's so he's so crazy in it yeah really a really good like a really good strong sort of person to center around this movie that has like a lot going Mm -hmm. on but he's sort of he's sort of like the one sort of in the middle he's sort of like the connection between our two sort of i guess protagonists uh yeah yeah uh yeah matt damon damon yeah yeah. Uh, i i don't know if you know this but i have horrible face blindness i i can i cannot tell i cannot tell actors apart at all and i definitely thought that matt damon was mark Wahlberg for like the first until i saw mark Wahlberg. i pretty much was like oh yeah that must be that because that was one of the names i saw at the beginning i was like oh it must be who that is (laughs) yeah yeah that's really funny yeah no this is like I, I had watched this a few months ago and then was just kind of brushing up on clips before we started and I watched the one where it's like him him and DiCaprio and DiCaprio's kind of trying to talk him. He's like, look, he's like, you don't need the money. money. He's like, I haven't like needed money since like I stole some kids like lunch money. I do this because I like it. Like just, 
Yeah. <laughs> He's really... I mean, he is, like... There's the moment where they, like, kill the person. He's like, she fell funny. He is, like, very mischievous in his villainy. And then, like, as uh, the movie goes, you know, it's revealed that he is also a rat and, like, becomes villainous both to, uh, you know, society and then also to his own crime family with his betrayal. It's really... uh, And that moment in the, like, sort of construction yard when he's sitting in the, uh, like, bulldozer or whatever uh, with the phone as Damon's calling him and he just blasts him away. It's such a, you know, not debaucherous, but just, like, this really fall from grace of this almost untouchable, you know, boss of this family just really, like, shot down like a dog. It's really crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. I also I wanted to verify, uh, but... Uh... Apparently, Arnold French was played by uh, Ray uh, Whitstone, which we talked about last mm-hmm. week as uh, Mr. Beaver in Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, wow, I don't remember him in that. He's just the, one of the little CGI beavers, like the guy one. <laughs> That's funny. And he's the villain? No, he's uh, he's like the... He, oh, he's like Jack, Nich- just... Jack, he's like Jack Nicholson's like... He's kind of just like the oh, guy no, no, who's sorry. always there. In, um, no, in Narnia. No. Oh, Narnia. <laughs> no, he's... Tilda Swinton is the villain in Narnia. Sure, yeah, yes. he's just he's just in it. He's just yeah. in he's like it. An no, yeah, he's yeah. Mr. French. I I know he's like um, he's got the great scene where he, uh, the guy's like you know DiCaprio orders cranberry juice and the guy's like, "What do you get your period?" And then he fights him and uh, French steps in and is like, "There's guys you can hit and guys you can't hit. That's not exactly a guy you can't hit." And he's like going through this whole thing and he's like, "What were you drinking?" And DiCaprio's like, "Cranberry juice." He's like, "What do you get your period?" It's like a great joke um yeah, yeah. He's so um <laughs> there's also i mean the scene also with nicholson that's so when he's interrogating dicaprio when he's got the cast and he like takes his boot and he's smashing his broken arm to see if there's like a wire inside really really crazy so like, this movie this movie remind me i think just in terms of like scorsese's we've covered for this podcast where i think it Kind of reminds me, uh, a bit similar to, like, Gangs of New York, and at least a part of Gangs uh, of New York that's, like, DiCaprio trying to, try, like, being sort of undercover, trying to get, like, close to a charismatic figure sure. at its center. Like, yeah. Yeah, and obviously, like, yeah, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is doing very different things, but do kind of just remind me that they do kind of have similar energy where they're, like, these chaotic, larger-than-life figures who think they're untouchable, and... Mm-hmm. They both kind of have sort of ignoble ends, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, this was such a fun movie. Uh, I think the it is yeah. so like it truly is so fun and like yeah, it, it's got great energy. It's really funny. Everyone is just like top of their game in it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great like entertaining. Experience. Yeah, the, yeah, the ending is like so. It's I'll be honest, you know, it does feel a bit like a. Uh, you know, a hollow, you know, shameful ripoff of the twist at the end of Wild Things. Um, you know, where it just it just it just decides to every two seconds be like, no, this is the ending, or like, no, this character kills this character. Sure, yeah, <laughs> the elevator death is really yeah. Cool. Oh, that one is it is shocking. It makes my heart yeah. Sink. When James Badge Dale's like, you thought you were like his <laughs> only person on the inside, like yeah. let's go. That's, that's yeah, that's really funny, Badge. <laughs> I'll say, I didn't know going into this movie that most of the characters were going to die, so I was surprised by, like, how fun it was. Oh. Like, 
It's yeah. I mean, the the Martin Sheen death really sticks out as like the huge one when you just see his body falling from the rooftop of that same building and like the splat as it gets thrown onto DiCaprio as he like rounds the corner is really so shocking. Yeah, and like it's also it's a really bleak film about like a guy who like loses his own identity trying to like take this down, but like Scorsese knows he'll make sure you're having a good time. Like just yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's his thing. He's just entertaining. Obviously, the sort of debates that get brought up of whether or not depiction endorsement, what have you. Uh, and, but it is just like one of those things that is so uh, not obvious, but you know, like it it gets chided a bit for its lack of subtlety in the ending, especially. But I think it is a pretty clean, good, evil mix you know it's like not really going for something super nuanced it's just like you know who you want to win and who you don't want to win yeah and i think he's just like having fun in that field that sort of space yeah and in that ending like by the time mark Wahlberg is like in in damon's apartment with a gun like that that's when i'm like yeah like as he's just shooting him just <laughs> yeah i mean that's a great i mean yeah it's a really good damon's way. such a weasel yeah, it's, yeah, Damon's definitely had a better record for like Wal Wahlberg on here, but sure, yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> huh. yeah, no, um, yeah. Do we have any any final thoughts on The Departed or uh, Nicholson's performance? I think it's great. I think it's a great win. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't look like The Departed made it into best movie, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> But, um, yeah, that is yeah, always uh, the weird thing. Yeah, I was going to point out... Didn't get any nominations for performance. Um, we only got the one, it seems, for villain. Uh, yeah, this is an interesting period, I think, for kind of MTV, where I'll, they have, like, three years, where at least... Well, I guess Nicholson didn't get, like, a supporting no nomination, but so, like, The Departed was a big Oscar, Oscar player, and then... The follow and like he's able to win for that here, and then the following year, No Country for Old Men, like gets in, but like Javier Bardem does not have the same luck winning. Like this feels like one of the last years before it it kind of like loses itself to oh, what's the popular movie? What are the fans gonna vote? Yeah, it is like I would imagine. Like I have not paid much attention to the MTV Movie Awards in a while. I must admit. But it's hard to imagine, like, something breaking through the way The Departed. And, I mean, and even in the rest of the nominations, like, Dreamgirls, Pursuit of Happiness, these, like, dramas with movie stars have been sort of taken over by, like, the latest franchise thing. Which there is some of here, but you have a bit more nuance with, like, your Devil Wears Prada nominations and, like, Little Miss Sunshine and Best Movie. Like, could you imagine a Sundance sort of... Dra dramatic comedy <laughs> being next to, like in game or whatever it's like the miseducation of cameron post and captain marvel yeah like this year it felt like a ma major victory when jackass forever won best kiss just <laughs> yeah that's funny that's a good one what yeah. else was nominated this year <laughs> I, I... it was uh this year for kiss just uh, in general was... what, what kind of movies do we get uh, uh, a lot of like the Batman, Spider-Man, Spider -Man, No Way Home. Yeah, Euphor yeah. Euphoria. The Adam Project got a Best Movie nom over Free Guy. I mean, 
If you have to put one Sean Levy mm. thing in there, Dune. I guess so. So they're 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 sort of mashing up two years. Yeah. Um. Uh. Oh, Lady Dune's a good yeah, one. Lady Gaga got in for House of Gucci. That's fun. But yeah, that's again, that's sort of like the sort of she's not a. I guess she's a movie star now, but she's just like a star. She's a famous person. Um, yeah. It's. Oh, they did. Oh, they did give Alana Haim a breakthrough performance nom for Licorice Pizza. That's good. Yeah, that's a good nomination. Yeah. But yeah, this definitely feels like we're kind of like sort of the end, an end of an era, sort of where you can get. Not that the Departed isn't like a big like kind of crowd pleasing movie, but sure, yes, but it is that sort of towing the line between being for like teens and you know 20 somethings like a younger demographic but and fitting in popular film with prestige film yeah yeah all right and then yeah so on that note i think we can move move on to saw three a movie in which the best villain nominee spends pretty much the entire time just lying down on a bed and is still like terrifying (laughs) yeah i guess like the movie comes down to it being his plan but throughout most of the runtime i'm like amanda is the best villain john kramer does nothing i also my experience with the saw movie just quickly i watched saw one last year for the first time i'd never seen any of these movies for my own podcast and thought it was like decent and was curious about spiral, which I still haven't seen. Uh, and then yesterday or yesterday, like as I'm preparing to like watch movies, uh, for this that I hadn't seen before, I was like, I should be fine skipping saw two and going straight to saw three. And I start watching it and it like picks up literally where saw two leaves off. I was like, well, I guess I have to go back and watch saw two. So I've seen saw two and saw three now. And, I do think Tobin Bell is pretty good as John Kramer and Jigsaw. His villainy is more up to the sort of inner workings of the Saw lore and how Jigsaw is getting everyone to play his games that he sets up. Uh, But in my opinion, I do not think he is the best villain of the movie. I'm very glad that he did not win. It would have been a sham. Yeah. Yeah, because he he does have, yeah, like like, uh, Kenny said, he does have like a really strong presence like laying there, but he still is also just like laying there the whole movie. Yeah. And like doesn't have like a super active role. Um, Yeah. Sorry. What did uh, what did you think, Kenny, of the movie? Yeah, I think it's decent. Yeah. It's like this one I sort of uh mentioned this elsewhere on Letterboxd that it is like I feel the uh just of the series I feel like the premise and the sort of uh uh what did I call it the um the formula of these movies being like but actually Jigsaw's on top of everything and he set all this up to, like, be running a little thin. Uh, and, like, the lore is so, like, dense of, like, having to keep track of the timelines. And they keep setting us up stuff. And then the way at the end they show everyone who's died in the first two movies again. It's really, like... I, I respect it in a way that it is so uh, high on its own supply, I guess. 
uh, of just like we are setting up like all these these you know dominoes that are gonna fall how we want them in future movies, and I guess that's why they made eight of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It is strange. Um, I have not seen all of them, but I, I have. I think through YouTube videos, I've spoiled myself on all of them. Sure. Um, at at some point or another, and what the general vibe I do get is that it is a series that does revel in the fact that it was like, it was Jigsaw all along, which yeah. is strange for a series where it's like, I'm pretty sure he's dead at the end of this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, or maybe like it's just a very strange thing for a franchise to like have eight movies but in the third one the main villain dies and just he's still the main villain in almost all of the other ones yeah i guess that is i'm excited to see how they keep bringing him back yeah Yeah. what what is the way to bring jigsaw back but even still he gets the last laugh he dies but he's connected to the shotgun collar around her neck and (laughs) his death causes her head to blow off yeah that's the last shot of the movie too um last shot um <laughs> exactly but uh i do i do love the part near the end where jigsaw is like recapping everything that's oh. happened up up until po- up until moments that literally just yes. happened but then you're gonna see them again in like the in the saw flashback style yeah. like random cuts yeah very much like hyper edited it is it is really just like seeing him be like I, like you're saying he just is recapping everything yeah. that happened in the movie. I'm like, <laughs> so I didn't need to watch the whole thing then. Yeah, okay, you could watch that. It's like a super cut, right? Up until yeah. like, and then you guys walked in, and then I started explaining everything that's happening. Yeah, it's like, oh, this didn't need to be two hours. Yeah, I'm definitely in the same spot where, like, the, like, the first saw I remember enjoying a lot, and then watching two and three for this podcast. Like, two, two I'm like, okay, this is different, but still enjoyable. And this, I'm like, okay... I still like this, but I can see how easily this is going to be, like, diminishing returns. Like, when we talked about Saw 2, I mentioned I still have a very clear memory of watching commercials on TV late at night for, like, Saw 5 through 8, and everyone being like, the final chapter! The final chapter! The final chapter! Like, year after year, until eventually I'm like, yeah, I don't believe you! Just, um... Uh, Yeah... It's like the conclusion to the epic Saw saga. It's like, well, I live in the current year, so I know there's three more after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the game doesn't really work. Uh, yeah, was he He was nominated for Saw 2 as well? Yeah, he was nominated for Saw 2, which I think is definitely a more active use for him. Uh, yeah, friend of the show, yeah. Ethan Rundine, was very surprised when he found out he was also nominated for Saw 3. Just... Yeah. What uh? What won that year? Um, what did win that year? We just... it was uh Hayden Christensen, right? Revenge of the Sith, uh, Anakin Skywalker. Great, yeah. yes, great performance. <laughs> yeah, it's... that's a good win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Uh, I, I think overall the honestly, people that weren't as co- kind on it, but I'm like, if I had Colin on for this one, he'd be like just defending the hell out of that movie. Like, just... yeah. <laughs> honestly, I'm try- I can't remember which I picked for my number one, but like, I feel like he was up there just because that week was like it was some good movies, and then also like Chronicles of Narnia and the worst sure. Harry Potter movie. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I gave it to Bell because I knew I wasn't going to give it to him for this year, so. I'm like, yeah, I can. I'm like, I can acknowledge it's a great performance, and there's a reason why they keep having to go. Whoa, it's Jigsaw all along, and it's because it's just really fun to watch him just go through his bullshit. Like, just I do think if we're, it's like extrapolating the idea 
of what he does as a villain in the Saw universe. I assume he's creating these traps, so I have to give it up in some regard to him there. His, um, the shotgun collar, I think, is really strong. Um, the, the design of it pointed at, like, separate shotgun shells all pointed at her neck in different areas. Um, as she's, like, arguing with Amanda and it's like, he needs to get to a hospital. Get off your ass. Like, let's get this together. And it's like, you literally are in a trap. You shouldn't be sassing everyone when you're so close to death. And then, um, the other trap that I really loved, just in terms of how gross it is, is the rotten pig blender that shoots all the sludge. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the that guy one's, is that one's so gross. gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of, yeah, to pivot away not talk about the villain as much, um, the protagonist in this movie, I, I'm super, this is, this movie, uh, is the second most disappointing movie this week for me uh, and wow. i'll get into why i'll get into why the devil wears prada is number one when we get there yeah. um but this movie is just very disappointing because like i really like the premise of like our protagonist journey of like like having these people in his life that he could just let suffer because of like the thing they did to him mm-hmm. but like it's conceptually really cool but it's just bogged down by all the details of like it not being a super compelling thing. It's like very generic, yeah. like, oh my son died. And then like the problem is that every interaction he has is the exact same. Yes. It's <laughs> it's him like it's him being kind of in an inhuman monster and just like sitting there for a second and then like just like completely flabbergasted and then trying to save it at like the very last second and failing. Yeah. Um and it's just like I wish it, they should have made each one like a little more different where maybe he like he tries like really hard on the first one um, and like I don't know it, I feel like there's just so much you could do with that neat concept of like Jigsaw has trapped all these people that have like, like been involved in the same been, like yeah exactly and like he might have to grapple with this idea of like maybe I should just like not do anything or maybe I should just let it like let them go but like the problem is that like he does that with everybody but then he also tries to save him, so you still know he's a good guy. But it's also, like, you have to be insanely cruel. Like, I think the woman freezing one is probably mm-hmm. the finest example of, like, you just have to be incredulously cruel to stand there for even, like, a second and, yeah. like, not immediately try and do something. Yeah, like, um, at least, like, cover her up. Like, yeah, offer would, her one of your shirts. <laughs> it would make more sense if, even if each scenario was the same, it would make more sense if it was the inverse, where, like, he would try, like, really hard at the beginning, and then as it went on, he would just be like, why am I doing this? Like, fuck yeah. this person. I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. like, but it always starts out that way, and then he eventually, like, grows, like, oh, I should try something when, now that it's clearly too late, and she's a, a woman-sicle. Um Yes. Or pigged. He's been pigged entirely. Yeah, the pig is... It's, it's really gross. The uh, the one up top with the um, police officer who knew Donnie Wahlberg, where she is... Uh, she's got the one on her chest, right? And she has to get in the jar of acid to pull the key out. Yeah, oh, that one's really, really... Ugh, I don't like that one at all. Yeah. There's yeah. some that are really intense. Uh, I'm trying... Yeah. What's the one... The second one starts with the guy who has the key behind his eye, right? I think that's... Isn't that the first movie? Saw one? With the key behind the eye? Or am I crazy? That might be Saw. 
No, no, I, think, no I think it's Saw 2. I okay. think it's 2. Saw 1 is largely just there in the bathroom. Yeah, this one starts with Wahlberg, like, trying to get the gun, and he has to, like, use the toilet seat to break his foot. That's really gnarly, yeah. Also, maybe the, oh, only, yeah. maybe the only time we'll talk about both, like, Mark and Donnie Wahlberg. Yeah, and Donnie Wahlberg, the crossover. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> this is until 2015 when they implement be- uh, television to the movie awards and they nominate Wahlbergers. <laughs> I will say, I think you're right, Colin, that Amanda really is the villain of this film right up to the point where, like, it turns out this whole thing has been her test, and then yeah. she dies under the thing because, like, she's just like, well, I can't let a murderer, like, continue on being Jigsaw. It's like, what are you talking about? Just like, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jigsaw's moral superiority is really funny. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is, like, a really funny aspect. I feel like, yeah, I feel like a good Saw movie, the good next Saw movie, just needs to lean into that a little harder, in that how like actually stupid it is um yeah (laughs) and like yeah i feel like if if the saw movies had foresight which i don't think they did i think it was like a really cool movie that they made once and then they made enough money that they should make a bunch more yeah but like you could definitely have like a cool arc with jigsaws or john kramer's character where like maybe the first few saw movies it's like kind of got a point but then by the end he's just completely mentally gone and could just be and is pretty much just the sort of flanderized like exaggerated version of like well if i if i like drop a bowling ball on your head i didn't kill you gravity did like yeah you, you could have gotten out of the way i'm not gonna kill you i'm just not gonna save you which is <laughs> exactly all right so do we have any more thoughts on tobin bell or saw three um i think it's pretty intense when they have to do the uh surgery on his head and keep his heart rate down and also he's like awake and only on painkillers um, oh yeah the, the chucking the grabbing a little piece of the skull out is like yeah, really it's really yeah. gnarly yeah um the uh and uh there was one other th- i i mean the uh the the concept of the cassette tapes for angus mcfadden is really funny um it's just like you know the sort of taking the movie completely at face value and not just as this sort of horror entertainment and like imagining <laughs> withered old sick tobin bell recording himself and like nailing it in one having his script and then just doing it for all these separate tapes setting them up setting up the saw traps it's uh it's very funny to imagine but yes i'm, I, I'm <laughs> yeah. glad he didn't win best villain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right uh and with that we can move on to another sequel Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Yeah. Oh, man. I think before this podcast, I had only seen the first Pirates of the Caribbean, like, in, like, a classroom, probably. Not all the way through in one sitting. And then I feel like I've never seen this one. I must have seen the third one. Because this is, like, the second time now where I'm just waiting for the scene with the mermaids. (laughs) Okay. But it must be the next one. <laughs> I believe The Mermaids is four. That's the other one that I have really? seen recently. Mermaids is the Rob Marshall one. Yeah. Um, oh my god. There gosh. are not mermaids not on in that Stranger world Tides. Time. That must be the one. Um, uh, I've then I have is I've never seen the original Pirates trilogy, maybe only the first one and now the second one. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really good. I did not think Davy Jones was going to sound like that. He sounds so crazy. But I is going hard. I love it. I definitely, because I've definitely seen pictures of Davy Jones, and I've definitely seen Epic Movie, where they parody parody Pirates of the Caribbean at some point. Um, But I'd never never heard him talk, and I assumed he was going to talk like like a grizzled old man with a beard, or like unintelligible kind of like slobbering. But yeah. no, he just sounds <laughs> like he does. Like it's like French, Scottish. Yeah, it's a lot of different accents. It's a lot of different. Ac- the first part's definitely heavy French because I was like, I was taken aback super hard, yeah. and I loved it. <laughs> he he's really good. Um, this is another one where it's like there. There's a few villains you've got. Davy Jones, obviously, you've got. Um, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Beckett, play Tom Hollander, who's sort of villainous on the more bureaucratic side of things than the pirate side. Um, but yeah, he's um, he certainly looms large over the film. He um is greatly enhanced by I think the really well done special effects that like still hold to this day. Um. And like oh, yeah. I, I, I think this movie is like okay. I I remember thinking the first one was really solid and I had watched it again recently. This one I think I maybe had seen once before, but I would not be confident. And then um in twenty twenty I watched the fourth one uh as part of our podcast where we talk about these um sort of blockbuster movies that have played can and that was one of them the the can film festival it and, was uh, it, it was one of the ones that was sort of out of competition playing just as like a big premiere you can get movie stars out there uh it was a huge franchise at the time still i think but that one is really abysmal and even though i wasn't like a huge fan of this one uh i th- it's like miles miles ahead of anything that happens in the fourth one which is just like for this one where i I, at stretches i find it boring and like i find uh a a lot of the humor is like uh sound effect heavy and like people like going like gulp like gulp facing uh which is like kind of annoying but also kind of funny and how like sort of thinking abstractly about how big these movies are and how like verbinski has such a strong vision that there is an almost cartoony element to it um but then in other aspects it's sort of like un- just boring to me and like all the stuff with like the uh the islanders feels a little gross um but i mean it is just one of those things where it's like uh nai is incredible and looks really like scary i think all the sort of um crew members of the flying dutchman who have like fish and water blood is really cool <laughs> there's like a lot of cool design to it uh and i think he, he is like a good villain to like a side of the movie although i think the best villain in the movie is the kraken which is like the sickest scene also oh yeah yeah <laughs> Th- this is our yeah this i believe is the first villain recovering who's largely like cgi um Excluding, yeah, excluding the T Rex, which is was not also sure, played sure. by an actor, 
And really, I remember just kind of watching this film, like, it does sound out where you're like, wow, how did it just get worse from here? Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, the Davy Jones design, I love a lot. It just, like, the tentacles, like, there's a lot of mm-hmm. just personality to it. Uh, but this was actually the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie I saw. I never saw, like, the first one. And then it w- obviously was really popular. And I think when this one came out, I read a review in, like, a local paper that compared it to The Empire Strikes Back, assumedly just because it ends on a big cliffhanger. But, like, I'm like, sure. well, that's, like, a thing of quality, so... I wound up seeing this one first and enjoying it a lot. Um, earlier this, I mean, I get the, I get the Empire comparison. It's sort of like, in a way, Jack Sparrow is like the Han Solo of this. You know, if you're drawing the lines of like Knightley to Fisher and Bloom to yeah. uh, uh, Hamill, you could draw sort of a line. He's like a bit of a rap scallion and like. Uh, 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 a swashbuckler obviously there's something going for that more western in um, uh, influence in Empire Strikes Back but I'm sure there's there like I, I see the comparison certainly it's like uncertain demise yeah and actually I think I forgot if I mentioned this in the Curse of the Black Pearl but what I yeah because uh, obviously, Curse of the Black Pearl is, like, really, really great, just crackling entertainment. And then I watched this one, which I also enjoy, enjoyed a lot for reasons we'll get into. And then I think the next day, even though we weren't covering it for the podcast and it's the longest one, I'm like, well, I got to see At World's End. And then and then I just loved it. And one of the things I enjoy about that one is it's kind of where, like, the Star Wars, like, the Han Solo progression is sort of, obviously, he's, like, the he's the rogue. He's in it for himself. And then, yeah. and then, uh, then slowly becomes part of the team. But at World's End is, and you get kind of a sort of it here with this movie, where this film would be a lot shorter if you just cut out like some of the dozen plus double crosses that just kind of happen in it. Sure. But like, yeah. yeah. But then at World's End is literally everyone has like their own agenda, and they're in it for. Well, Will and Elizabeth obviously are, like are in it for like each other, and then also Will's dad. But like. It's just move after move where you're like, oh yeah, they're all kind of just, they feel like pirates here. And it's, yeah. And, and it's great. And yeah, the, this film, I think like I looked at my letterbox thing where it's like, yeah, this could be a lot shorter if you cut out like all the double crosses, but why would you want to? Like as, as much as you said, there's kind of this sound effect thing. It is, I think, funny every time when it's like someone reveals that, oh, like, yeah. Oh no, they're, they're in this for themselves or... No, no, like, he's gonna steal the heart and give it to to Beckett on his own, or just, like, or... Yeah. yeah. Or the thing I think that makes it sound like, I do think it's kind of the weakest one of the original trilogy, but the thing I think that really sells it out is when Kira Knightley kind of just sell, sells out Jack Sparrow on the end, when she kind of just leaves him to die, and then just makes it seem like it was his own decision, so the crew's like, oh, wow, what a nice guy, just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, this is probably my, uh, I, I, I didn't know that the mermaid ones were bad. I haven't seen them in so long. I haven't seen them since I was a kid, but I think this, I think this one does stand though as my, probably my second favorite just because the, the first one is so, uh, whimsical and like, um, and like, it's one of those things where like, I don't know 
why but like it really a really good scene will stick in my head and like kind of shape a movie around it almost and like no fight scene in this movie is as good as like the first sword fight between uh johnny depp and orlando bloom in the first movie just like the music and everything it's so good yeah that Um, is really pops off of the first yeah, one exactly but this movie like still was super fun and enjoyable and goofy yeah. and cartoony and like um i i wasn't like i liked him but i wasn't like the biggest fan of uh jeffrey rush's like the barbados in the first uh, movie even though he got the villain nod um right this was a right we argued about that a lot in that episode yeah i don't know why it just didn't but I wouldn't be li- I'd be lying if I said I didn't get like a big a big uh a big oh moment when he showed up at the end spoilers yeah, I back. guess for this two almost you know couple decade and a half old movie um <laughs> it was like I was like whoa and like that made me want to watch the next one which uh I will probably do on my own time some point yeah I feel like I should also get the next one this is the thing though of just like you talk about how this is sort of uh new for the movie awards to have a fully cgi character nominated and it's like uh as i'm watching this you think about the sort of glut of uh special effects driven movies that come out nowadays that aren't as like with the sort of uh with the re-release of avatar people are like this movie looks better than movies do now why didn't people take the right lessons from it? And it's like the same thing with Pirates of the Caribbean, where it's like, it's not exactly a movie that I think is great. Uh, I, I, I see the appeal, certainly. And uh, and maybe even in a theatrical setting, I would enjoy the experience more. Um, but it is still just such, like, miles and miles ahead of, like, I would rather watch the worst of the Verbinski ones than something like... I mean, just picking, like, a random target, um, something like, like, Shang-Chi, or something like Black Widow, just, like, whatever sort of miscellaneous Marvel movie that comes out, uh, I would, I would much rather watch, like, uh, like, I pointed this out, this, like, it's rare now to see, mo- like, actors be in real water, and it's like they're out in the open ocean in scenes, like, all the for all that it is in a special effects movie, this one has a great amount of practicality to it. There's a lot of great costuming. I feel like Stellan Skarsgård uh, is more makeup than CGI, and it looks great as uh, this sort of sunken bootstrap bill. Like, all of those characters that are CGI, there's also a good deal of them that are mostly makeup, and I, I think they all look great, and I would, like, much, much prefer that. And like you're saying, scenes that stick in your head one of the best is uh, David Jones just wailing on the organ with all his tentacles. Yeah, oh, that's so good. That was so what a what a great part. And it's a uh, it is weird that yeah, this is like our first uh, like kind of full CGI villain if you don't count the T Rex. But like next week we have one of our like first full CGI movies, Beowulf, where no matter who oh. they nominated, they would have been fully CGI. Yeah, <laughs> who is. Who's not is Joe Lee nominated Jolie, yeah. or is like yeah yeah Joe Lee that's that's good yeah, I can't a, wait to watch that's that a movie great again. movie I really like it and the last time I watched it it was uh I bought a DVD at just like a random place in Lethbridge um and just watched it on like a portable DVD player <laughs> <laughs> and it was fantastic it's um 
The movie is so good. I, I really do like that movie a lot. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think Nai, like you mentioned, the voice is really incredible. Um, there's the other great scene where uh, he's like looking down the spyglass at Davy Jones and pulls it away, and he's just right there. It's a great gag. It's a great bit of uh, fear from him as well. Um, and then I sort of I, I do like the mechanics of the Flying Dutchman and how it can be like deep undersea and it can be out during the day. There's like, you know, with the first one, uh, you have the sort of reveal that they're zombies they're there. You can see their bones at night or whatever. Uh, and this one, I think it's fun that they, um, exist as these weird fishmen <laughs> consistently. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the design of the Dutchman is like great. All just the stuff with the like weird fishmen. uh, I remember liars, the liars dice sequence, like sticking out a lot. Yeah, actually, I remember when I was in high school, I attended like a sleepover with a bunch of drama kids, and one of them had like Pirates of the Caribbean branded liars dice, and we played around with it. Okay. And I was so good at bluffing that the next morning, like they're like, "Hey, do you want to have a bagel?" And I never had a bagel before, but I bluffed my way through. Well, okay, well, I put on a bagel. How much cream cheese do I need? Just because, like. I've done so well at Liar's Dice. <laughs> you were able to figure it out. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that's always another really good scene with, like, uh, it's like the dad and, like, the... Yeah. 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 No. And, like, the reveal that it was just to figure out where it was. Yeah. And I'll say, like, as you said, man, none of the action really compares to that first big fight in, like, yeah, Curse of the Black Pearl or... Even the big, like, Barbosa fight at the end, but I'll say, the, the big, like, three-way thing here with the giant wheels is, is like, a lot of fun, yeah. just as, like, a set piece. Very strong, yeah. Love that. That's, yeah, this movie's got, that's the thing, is that, like, this movie has really fun, like, big set pieces, but, like, it didn't, it couldn't nail that, like, you know, clash to clash like the first one did, but it did have, like, really big, fun set pieces, like, when they're, when they're in the cages. Yeah, the big round cages uh, walking up the cliff is really Yeah, good. alongside of, like, uh, uh, jack sparrow with like the pole on his back yeah yeah just also briefly on the flying dutchman uh there's a great bit of like uh i don't know even how you describe it like set decoration but it's like the guy who's holding the lamp on the side of the boat who like leans forward to tell them about the key and you sort of see his brain sticking to the wall and the the skull around it it's really uh well designed uh, really exciting yeah yeah, I, I really like the it's a, a green knight looking fella. Sure, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I really love that. Yeah, and as you said, like the kraken is really cool, and it legitimately feels like sick, the biggest yeah. threat. Like, I'll say one thing for the third film that, as much as I love it, they do kind of kill the kraken off off screen. I think just because they set it up as such like a heavy in this one, where like you there just probably was not room for it in three with everything else that goes on in that film which is a shame because like the final kraken fight is just really cool especially when they get what in other movies would be the big win and here they're like oh no we just pissed it off more like <laughs> yeah that 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 first scene when it is coming like around under the boat is really uh cool i do think the movie also just generally looks really strong i think uh darius wolski did a incredible job anytime they're sort of um in the scenes 
uh, where it's like sort of dark and yellowy as they're like inside. Uh, all the uh, the colors really pop, and obviously like the blue against the sort of white sand really. There's a there's a shot of uh, Kira Knightley sitting as they're all fighting on the beach, and you just see like blue sky behind her, white sand under her. She's sort of sticking out in the middle, and the, the it just a, a really well composed image and there's a lot throughout i think it is really really good looking yeah oh yeah for sure like these these films are gorgeous that's it's really a thing where as much as i don't want another pirates of the caribbean film per se like i still have not seen four or five because i'm just under the assumption that they're going to be like really bad but i do kind of wish that you get just some kind of blockbuster that has this kind of like energy and style to it again like just and, and care like yeah just the effort put in it's it's noticeable and it's it's something that we're lacking yeah which is too, too bad though i guess at least at least we're gonna finally get like a new avatar um i mean sure we'll we'll be seated yeah my only hope is that with this new avatar maybe we can get a new Avatar game that is surprisingly good. <laughs> a new movie yeah. tie. Even though those are dead now. And if it was any, he can bring him back. I hope Jim so. Jim Cameron. What would be the, what, what's what's like the perfect game that you just want Avatar skin? Like what was that Star Wars game that was sort uh, of uh, the last? Was not the last Jedi. That's the movie. Uh, Fallen Order. Yeah, uh, or is that the one like with that. uh with the guy, the like the redhead guy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that, but Avatar, you're sort of infiltrating the Navi clan. <laughs> well, I just remember the the one for PS3, I was like I was like expecting it to kind of be like a pretty generic game, but like no, it's like this massive overworld where like you could play it you have it, you played as the Avatar, half of it you played as like or the Navi and half of it you played as the humans and like it was just like a giant map and just had so much effort put into it and like these giant monsters that were like really well animated and looked beautiful and I was like this is like not like a movie tie-in game like this is actually like a yeah. game game <laughs> what do they make like a horizon zero dawn Pandora? that would that would be honestly the per it really the avatar game for ps3 was really horizon zero dawn before horizon zero dawn like way That's before yeah i mean look I, I if anyone could do it i would put my faith in jim cameron yeah exactly yeah. also yeah. little spoiler for when we inevitably talk about like uh yeah oh wait maybe we don't talk about avatar again for best villain oh yeah, we do. Okay, in like 20, 2010, my personal ranking of that as a movie has gone way up having now seen it in theaters as it was intended to. Just Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, maybe I can try and see it in theaters if, uh, if they managed to do it. They did. They, they re-showed Spider-Man. You got like, like a... New up... Yeah, it's in like main theaters. You got like a week and two days to get into like the city <laughs> and see it. I already checked. I'll try. I'll try my darn. I already checked your local cinemas, and it's not on one of their four screens. Because I'm like, I gotta get Ben to see this <laughs> on the big screen. But... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but do we have anything else to say on Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Man's Chest? No, good villain. A, yeah, really fun villain. Yeah. Like very. Yeah, yeah, he's having very, fun. Very much like uh, kind of like Voldemort, where I I have this like, image in my head of them, and I thought they were definitely like really like stoic, but like they're actually like kind of goofy and vibrant and fun, which is like yeah. my favorite kind of villain by far. Yeah, I would agree. And you know that guy in The Departed who has the really thick Irish accent. 
Honestly, um, me, he's I like think he's so. like one of the like the goons, one of the henchmen. I was that's how Davy Jones kind of talks. <laughs> he did kind of talk like that. Was he the he one where? Like, yeah, he's the one where he's like, "Oh, are you a cop?" We're, we're pointing out cops in front of everybody as if they ignore us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it. I think. Oh he's yeah. Sort of like the short, uh, dark hair, balding kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if we have. Nothing else to say about Pirates of the Caribbean. We can move on to uh, 300. 300. Not 300 United, but 300. What is um, 300 United? So I did not watch this, but Kenny did. Yes. <laughs> it was okay. a. If you want to take it away, Kenny, Last, what is United right, 300? <laughs> we discovered that like there was a year, maybe it was this year. There's there's a There was a year where they gave like best spoof film as like. On, or best spoof short as an award, and was either the winner or just one of the one of the things. Hold on, yeah, it was this year. Yeah, the MTV Movie Spoof Award for United Three Hundred, which was a parody of United Ninety Three and Three Hundred. <laughs> just about interesting. Yeah, it the film was about. Yeah, I watched it on September eleventh, of course, in twenty twenty one. It's. It's about the 300 Spartans defending passengers against German terrorists. Um, it's very bad. <laughs> like, it's... the yeah. But it's them doing stuff like... Yeah. There, there's lines where they're like, Oh, we'll be forced to land in, like, Ohio. Ohio. And it's like, Then tonight we dine in Cleveland. And it ends with... Sure, that's rough. Yeah. The villain was named, like, Jerxes. And he says, okay. this is madness at the end. And then Leonidas is like, this is United. Um, sure. Yeah. It It wasn't racist. I can give it that. Like, they made the... Yeah, I guess <laughs> if you're fishing for compliments. Uh... Yeah, but it was where I'm... But it was literally a time where, like, I watched it and immediately I'm like, why did I do this? Like, just... Yeah. <laughs> but yeah oh. also when Andy Signor won this during his speech he's like this film was not making fun of a tragedy it was a tribute to those who stood up against tyranny oh. um, anyways yeah so 300 a film that you watched at the gym Ben to get like the full Spartan experience or nice yeah so um so in my regular fashion, I didn't start watching these movies until like two days before recording. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I watched, um, I watched, geez, what did I, I watched a lot just at work, uh, yesterday. Um, and I got like 20 minutes into like 300 and then at work ended. And then I was like, Oh, I'm heading to the gym. And then I was like, yeah, I'll just like, I'll just like grab my tablet and then just like prop my tablet up somewhere with my headphones on and just like, just be glancing over while I worked out. Um, and there's like, I don't, this is the, I don't typically do this. If I do usually do this, I'll usually do it on like the treadmill where I can like focus mm-hmm. for like 25 yeah, minutes. Look. Yeah, exactly. But I was like, you know what? I feel like I can do it. And I was like, oh, I was like a little worried about like, oh, I'm going to like miss out on details or I'm going to miss out on things. But then I forgot that like after like 30 minutes or like after like 40, 30 minutes, 300 just becomes this like, just this freaking 
monster testosterone fueled madness for the yeah. rest of the runtime, which it's is like, like a sizzle reel. <laughs> it's it's just the perfect thing to have on in the background while you're sure. just working out. It was genuinely it was a it was a euphoric experience. I can't describe it. Uh yeah. but I'll do my best. It was just it was amazing. It was so fun. Uh that movie it's it's a pretty good movie. It's like not like it's not like the best movie ever. And it definitely has like some issues but like i feel like for what it's what it's kind of going for it really delivers if you just want this just shirtless you know freaking just like jacked romp you know yeah. with a bunch of slow-mo and a bunch of bunch of spears going through guys like just a the perfect if there was any movie i was going to watch in the gym 300 exactly. is way up the 300 maybe the edward norton incredible hulk um just like pain just, and gain exactly just there, there is there is a short but solid list of movies you know yeah anything that's like physique forward you know yeah watching 300 you get tyler bates great score pumping in your ears as you're mm-hmm. like busting out a set at the squat rack or like <laughs> reverse curls you know just on the bench getting Ten- it in tonight we deadlift in hell like exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> This uh, my 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 anecdote about three hundred is that um, it was the first R rated movie that I ever saw in a theater. Oh, oh man! Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, was we don't really have don't... R in Canada. It's yeah. like a thing. Sure, interesting. What is it like? Eighteen? Is it? Yeah, I think it's uh, eighteen. Yeah, I have to a imagine 18. it got eighteen A. It's like a, yeah, yeah. But a That's lot true. of my first. Yeah. A lot of okay. R films actually just get rolled into fourteen A here. So interesting. Yeah, but I remember Watchmen yeah. was eighteen A, and that was kind of my equivalent. Where like I was, I was like seventeen, and my like all my like adult friends are just vouch for me to get into Watchmen. But sure, yeah. I mean, I feel like the sort of uh, uh, what what's giving it an R rating is uh, it is pretty violent, but then there's also a bit of nudity. Um, yeah, I feel like I think I was in seventh grade. It must have been because maybe it was late sixth grade. Uh, when I when my my went with my brother and my father to see this at the theater, uh, and I thought it was like the sickest thing ever. It's like, like you're saying, it's just like slow mo, like all these like jack dudes fighting each other, uh, and this like I I was a little underwhelmed by it. I um, am generally I would say a fan of Snyder. I've only seen his superhero movies and this one, but I like. And I, I've seen bits of Watch, but I think I've seen it all. It's been either too long or I never actually saw it all. Um, but I do love this. Uh, you've got that big fight in Watchmen between the comedian and Ozymandias early on. That's like really well done. And I like his action generally. Um, and here it is like solid still. I think the slow-mo is cool. I think uh, it's really funny in retrospect that one of the iconic trailer lane uh trailer lines that will fight in the shade is by michael fassbender who just happens to be in this movie um but then and it isn't uh david winham also in it um uh, yeah yeah he's the narrator he's the narrator yes and he's the ipad yeah it's funny to see him like in elvis this year and then go back and watch him as like one of these beefcakes or whatever um but yeah, I, I think uh, it's like solid as far as villain goes. I feel like Xerxes is pretty 
much a lame duck. I mean, he's got the voice and he's got the size. He's really tall, which is cool. But otherwise, he is not a super compelling villain to me. And I think uh, when you've got people like Dominic West, who's much more like uh, tangibly evil rather than just like a conqueror, which is maybe not you know, right to say, but it is like thematically, yeah, a, a movie, it's it's like the scale of him taking down, you know, expanding Persia's rule across the world uh, isn't as intense as like this guy assaulting uh, uh, Lena Headey and like, you know, trying to lie about it publicly. It's, it's a much more gross, real thing than just yeah. like the looming threat that we aren't seeing. And I think, the movie largely has an interesting look, but it, it it does feel quite small in scale. Oddly, even though there are these big battle scenes, I never, you know, you you never really are anywhere other than like an empty field where they're fighting. It's like I I would I would want more city drama and to really know what's going on with Cersei's as a villain. And like no disrespect to Rodrigo Santoro's performance, which I think is pretty interesting like uh, the voice is cool and uh i i think he's good generally it's just but by the virtue of its place in the movie he doesn't really scream like threatening villain or like best villain uh to me yeah i i feel like it is one of those things where it doesn't super come down to the performance it more comes down to like the writing and plot where like it is like so true that like maybe maybe in like a quote-unquote like objective sense like what xerxes is doing is like worse and like he's killing more people but like what theron is doing is just so much more scummy it's just way more it's way more slimy it's way more like cowardice where and like he's much more hateable than Xerxes. exactly and like i feel like uh to draw comparisons to another sort of like uh you know a little bit more of a, a little less of a a a beefcake symposium but still a slight one uh <laughs> gladiator um, sure. uh i think the strength of gladiator is that like the villain really stood in that movie stood as like the antithesis of our hero and like mm-hmm. it's kind of true here but like not it's not super hammered in and played off and i think that goes to like i think gladiator just being probably like a better a more a movie that's way more concerned about maybe it's like themes in its writing than it is about like it's looking cool and like yeah. being cool uh, which is nothing wrong with that i adore this movie so much yeah, yeah, for, yeah for it's just it's laser focused on like just being just cool and raw um, exactly yeah and like but yeah but like we do really like we kind of get a little bit of like we get like a pretty weak confrontation between uh leonidas and xerxes but you never get that like I don't know if you ever. I don't know if you ever seen Gladiator, but like that last I'm fight. Not. Yeah, the last fight between the antagonist and the protagonist is just so good. Um, yeah, and I you still don't, watch it. I I like Ridley Scott. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Um, but you definitely like yeah. With this movie, you don't really get. I feel like it hurt. It hurts a villain when they don't get like a ton of interaction with the protagonist, mm-hmm. and like they don't get and, to have that like clash. Yeah, there's no real like. Uh, the the movie is weirdly like it's not exactly long it's not exactly short but it does feel sort of truncated 
and that it's just you have the opening scene or not opening you have the bit that's like the prologue of how the Unitas became who he is and then there's the big scene where he kicks the guy in the well and then it's just like after that they start walking towards Xerxes and then when they get there they fight him and it's like there's not a huge you know to t- 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 mention like a movie like Heat where it's like finally the quote unquote good guy and bad guy are meeting uh, and it's this this epic meeting and then there's the epic showdown or whatever. And you even have it in uh, uh, Snyder's future work with Batman versus Superman. But here it is like you're saying uh, the, the conversation between Leonidas and Xerxes is like very casual. And he's just like, yeah, if it comes down to it, like I will have to, we'll, we'll fight. We'll, we'll, we'll get down and dirty or whatever. But it's like, I, I don't get the sense that, I mean, Leonidas wouldn't be the type of person who's like afraid of the villain, but there's no real like, uh, uh, I, I'm not like so stoked that he's gonna yeah. take him down he's, or like that they're gonna fight each other. Yeah, there's not like a lot of like vitriolic emotion there. Whereas like it's kind mm-hmm. of like it's very casual. He's like making a joke where he's like, "Ah, oh, my yeah. knees hurt. I can't kneel." Um, yeah, exactly. You know? Like there isn't like that that you know that uh, there's not not a lot like hot like passion of either like hate or like begrudging respect or like anything exactly that like right. yes. a lot of like great villain conflicts have and like um. To kind of uh, to pull back to like a movie that we covered in our first villain episode, um, Robin Hood. I think even when the performance is super duper good, I think that lack of like interaction between like the villain and the protagonist can just like it can just turn something that was like really good into like a few notches down. Um, uh-huh. Which like I feel like this movie probably could have like benefited from maybe a little bit uh, in at least in the at least if you know if Zack Snyder was uh, trying to impress a couple of podcasters doing a villain based uh podcast several years in the future um but yeah it does it does lead to like a slightly weaker villain even though the performance was good it kind of just comes down to like the sort of like plot and like the sequence of events yeah i remember like 300 came out when i was about like 13 so of course it was like what or i guess 14 but still for like that age but just one of the most iconic things if you were like a 13 14 year old boy where you're like yeah and everything about about it like i remember i did not watch it then because it was like incredibly violent and my parents would not have let me but it was but i do remember just i saw like i had i knew all the image i knew like this is Sp- this is sparta and tonight we dine in hell and all that stuff so i had a thing like i think Cersei's at least as a piece of, like, iconography, I think. Yeah, it's, like, pretty eff- effective, because the thing you can say, whether you, like, love or hate Zack Snyder, and I was someone who, for a while, had kind of soured on him, and then in recent years have sort of come around to more appreciate what he does, even if, like, films like this, I'm like, uh, I don't think I'm getting much out of it. Uh, he's really good at, like, kind of iconography and making just great images to look at and Cersei's definitely like is a weaker villain but also I think kind of works as sort of just the face of like this faceless force that the Spartans are fighting like yeah and it's interesting actually this might be another film where my main for a long time my main impression of it was based on this on a South Park episode where sure yeah yeah which had a lot more things because this is their time for 
the definitely not like problematic character of Mrs. Garrison, who is, yeah, yeah, I do remember this episode. Yeah, who like goes to like a lesbian bar that's getting taken over by Persians, and then that one does have like a lot more, I think, interaction between her as like a Leonidas stand-in, and then like Xerxes as like a a thing. So I think in my head, that's why I'm like, oh yeah, I guess there's be some kind of interaction with them, but maybe that was just a self part I went, well, you ought to correct this idea that, like, you never really get much Xerxes-Leonidas interaction in the film. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, you were saying, but there's just, like, no passion either way, really, with uh, Xerxes as a villain. Um, it's one of those things where it almost does not matter who they're really fighting because you just get you're like okay it's like the big the big powerful force that isn't like these super manly super warrior spartans yeah it's just it's about the hero's death rather than whatever he's fighting yeah um but yeah, uh, yeah. At least this looks cool, which it's more than you can say. Where <laughs> for some films where the villain is disappointing, I'm just yeah, you know, cool movie, good performance. Maybe not utilized the best, but like crazy movie gave me an insane experience. Gave me a good pump. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like cannot complain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You said a new PR, right? You were that excited. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he shouted it out on his Instagram, which he does not always do with these movies. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, I do if they really stick out. That's how you know. <laughs> or if I maybe I just didn't watch them when I went to the gym that day. Yeah. <laughs> that one is that one is where because I'm like, do I have to remind Ben we're recording an episode this week? And then I saw that I'm like, okay, no, he's watching the films. It's good. just yeah. Um, yeah. Do we have anything else to say about 300? No. I can't wait for it's. I can't wait. For, I can't believe I missed the 299 movies before. Uh, yeah. I, I was able to follow along. Not too bad. So it, yeah. it, it's kind of weird that they went to like 300 Rise of an Empire instead of 301. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that's a prequel, isn't it? Oh, I think it's a two hundred ninety nine. I think it's one of those prequel sequels. Okay, interest. It takes place. I've never seen it before, during, and after the events of that film. That's interesting. Maybe that one's good. Uh, it is a funny thing of like, um, around the same time, I feel like the Sin City movie came out. And if you ask me, when I'm like eleven or twelve, if I would, what I would be excited about it would be the potential of a sin city sequel and a 300 sequel and we get both and i never saw either <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah hmm. apparently oh. hetty santoro and like wenham all came back wow and eva green is like second oh. second on like the list yeah she's like one of the big ones in it i, I know that yeah along with sullivan stapleton Sure, just like a fake guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I've never heard of that name. But yeah, with that, yeah. we can move on to yeah. the final film, The Devil so, Wears Prada. Here is why this one was the most disappointing to me. Because you thought uh, she was going to be the devil. Oh, I, can I... 100%. Oh, is it... That is a... You hit the nail on the head, Kenny. Okay. I definitely thought... Uh, <laughs> just be cool into that joke. 
Yeah. No, uh, that's genuinely how I felt watching this movie. I thought that this movie, uh, a la The Devil's Advocate, was going to be a movie about someone confronting the actual devil. Um, sure. But instead, she's just kind of like a girl boss. Um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, that is the failing of this movie as a best villain nominee is that not Miranda really... Priestly isn't a villain. <laughs> yeah, I would I like, yeah, it's just like, she. yeah, she's just kind of getting her own. And it's like, she's a little mean, but like, I was... Because, like, I never knew anything about this movie except for the name. And I definitely sure. thought that this was going to be a Devil's Advocate-style movie where, like, she starts working for this woman and then slowly finds out she's the literal devil. I guess. I mean, that would be better, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that would lead to a better does movie. have, like, a pitchfork coming out of the stiletto. Yeah, here. That, yeah. That, is, that is what kind of, like, did it. Um, but instead, we got a movie that I feel like I, feel like I don't need to watch any more emily in paris i feel like i got everything i needed to i feel like i'm i feel like i've seen every plot they could possibly do um <laughs> and not a not a horror movie but definitely one disappointed because of that and even on its own merits it's just like it's just like i don't know it's normal it's 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 very simple parentheses yeah. neutral feeling um yeah you know, not an insult not a compliment it's very simple I agree. I think it is a pretty normal movie. There's, uh, you know, it's got this reputation as sort of being a comfort classic for a lot of people. Uh, Streep obviously got the Oscar nomination that's that same year. And I do think it's a good performance, but just taking it on its merits as a villain. She is like a hard boss, but she also is a very powerful woman, like, working at this, uh, as the head of this huge company. She's probably got a lot on her plate. She definitely has a lot on her plate because she's uh, getting a divorce and, like, having a rough marriage. And it's, like, the new assistant she's had for a month learns how to do the job better by being given more specific tasks. And it's, like, she really isn't that awful to her. Uh, the most it gets... I mean, and the, the the failing of the movie, just on its own for me, is that, like, the betrayal at Paris has almost no weight to it at all, and Hathaway's, that being the straw that breaks the camel's back, like, I guess compounded with her sort of um, but own betrayal against Emily Blunt by taking the Paris job over her which isn't even really that much of a betrayal, uh, doesn't really, uh, similar to Xerxes, <laughs> there's no passion. <laughs> I, I'm not like, yeah, uh, uh, Tucci gives a good performance, obviously. Oh, I love Sam Tucci in this, yeah. he, uh, you feel the sadness for him when it's revealed that he doesn't get the job, but I mean, it's like set up two seconds before, so there's not like a ton of... Yeah excitement for it like if you set set that up earlier and then it's like we're waiting this movie and he's about to get his moment and then it's taken from him and it's like miranda Priestley seems cutthroat but she also is like you almost feel bad for her at the end where it's like she's losing this very good assistant because of this like thing and it's like she she literally is just like you are doing well and she is won over by her 
she gives her the letter of recommendation where it's like you'd be stupid not to hire her and she's like happy to see her on the street i'm not like thank god she beat street <laughs> she got away clean it's like you should have yeah. just stayed at a job it was going <laughs> normal it was like you were doing well you were getting better at it and because of that like the villain is like the bad friends who <laughs> give up on her so quickly when she's like two months into this new job or Adrian Grenier, who just fully sucks. <laughs> yeah, Grenier is so bad in this. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. This definitely is, it's one of these films, it has like, what I call the High School Musical 2 problem, which is where like, you are supposed to be on the side of the friends who are like, you're blowing us off for like work and caring about like your performance, you're selling out and you're like, yeah. Like, this isn't a real problem. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. You could have definitely done something with, like, oh, you're, like, very absent or, like, you're different now. Um, you definitely could, but, like, the movie does not focus enough time on that conflict to, for, for how much it wants you to care about it. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, her... Obviously, it's a movie. It's made for entertainment. You want the high drama. You want the things happening like that where in reality it's more acceptable that your friends would just be like yeah it's like these two months she like just started a very high pressure job and is trying to not get fired so maybe like we don't need to be so upset and and, like there's the big scene where she misses the birthday and it's like literally just do it on a different day you are where everyone's an adult we don't need to have this like (laughs) midweek birthday for you yeah that just happens to fall on this huge night for me like yeah and like i feel like they definitely had they had like a moment where i think like yeah uh nate cooper adrian yeah um, what a bozo name also um, (laughs) but like he has like a moment where he says like where he says like don't pretend like we have anything in common anymore and it's like i feel like the movie maybe should have like shown that like my fa- sure. my favorite genre of movie is people falling out of love. So like Blue Valentine, Five Hundred Days of Summer, and I feel like you could have maybe had a small nugget of that. Maybe like a couple scenes where like they just aren't clicking anymore because of like yeah. she's getting obsessed with this job. And I feel like I feel like there's definitely I could definitely see because like I kind of see where the movie's coming from. Where it's like I think Anne Hathaway is like kind of destroying her life because she's becoming what Meryl Streep is. I don't think that's what she truly wants. Or like, she's like, is she's like, yeah. And like, hopefully like, I feel like the message at the end of the movie is that she is happier now that she sort of got out and is like doing things that she likes instead of this thing where like, I think Meryl Streep's like, uh, like the Miranda Presley kind of has like the, the whiplash sort of mentality where it's like, if I like this, me pushing like this and you know, is the sure. only way you're gonna only way we're gonna chisel out greatness out of you, like you know, yeah. if, I, if I babied you, you're gonna be a baby your whole life. Yeah. Um, Except instead of yelling, it's her talking very sternly at a voice that rarely like raises above a whisper for the entirety of. I mean, yeah. yeah, she's just like particular. She's uh, it's it's a pretty <laughs> much like there's moments she can be cold and she can be cutting and like she doesn't remember her name, which is rude uh obviously like uh objectively but then it's like as the movie develops i i guess it is it comes down to this the moral quandary of whether or not hathaway is happy but then there's also a bit of smugness and with her where she's like and tucci even calls it out in the movie where uh he's like 
uh, people would like give up everything to have your job where you like merely are deigning to do it. And, and it's like, yeah, she basically stumbled into this job and is of like a high mind around it until she finds out that like Joan Didion wrote for the fake Vogue for, for runway magazine uh, and, and her, you know, journalistic integrity, uh, her inklings as a writer, she wants to be something quote unquote greater than what this fashion magazine is, which is she, she gets dressed down with the cerulean scene that's famous and I feel like that scene reads less villainous and more like you should know like <laughs> things about your job in a, a, a bit at least you should like be aware of who people are like when she doesn't know any of the names she doesn't know Miranda Priestley's name when she gets there it's like that is stretches from like suspension of disbelief for fun entertainment to like I I don't I'm not like super sympathetic to her cause when it's like she is maybe just preternaturally gifted at like becoming adept in these specific fields that she s- steps in because she becomes very good at her job uh, to our eyes uh, maybe at the expense of other things but I mean that's up for debate and it's like she gives up uh, after like one thing it's like a really silly. Uh, turn for me. Yeah, she really does kind of feel like the stereotypical millennial, but like... (laughs) She loves avocado toast, she doesn't own a house. Yeah. Also, also, I'll say, part of it is, this film was kind of based off a book, and it definitely, reading up on the book now, it softened things a bit, I think, because um, Colin, I'm assuming you know this, but I'm also going to assume Ben does not, but and Miranda Priestly is like why yeah is essentially like based off of Vogue editor Anna Winter, so like actual person who mm-hmm. and there was like concern about how she would view this movie to the point where I think a lot of designers were unsure if they wanted their clothes to be featured in the movie on the chance she'd be upset about it. Um, yeah, they they was like. Uh... I I feel like I've heard that at the time among the fashion community, it was like, you don't want to, if you are part of this movie, it's going to be taken as like a slight against Anna Wintour, which is like crazy. Um, But but like the book ending, which I'm going to talk about because it sounds a lot better is one of her friends, Lily, who I assume is like a bigger character in the book. Like she's just a minor one in, in this movie, but Basically, while she's in Paris, she gets into, her friend gets into a drunk driving accident and winds up in a coma, and she chooses to stay in Paris instead of, like, going, going back home, despite her friend, like, telling her to, but then, ultimately, Miranda's pleased, but then is, like, making demands, and she realizes that, no, wait, my family and friends are more important than this, and I don't want to be like this, then... Tells Miranda essentially to like, yeah, fuck you, gets fired, then goes yeah. home. And then at the end, like, she's like selling her short stories and Seventeen buys it. And sure. then she goes to like a different magazine and sees a new junior assistant. And it's like, she looks as hairy, hard and put upon as her. And you're like, okay, here we go again. So like, which I think works better. Like maybe the film wouldn't be as much of a, you know, comfort movie, but I think it'd be maybe a bit more honest about the realities of that industry. Like... 
Yeah, I mean, Whiplash is an interesting point to bring up. I do wonder if it is more successful if you do have this sort of rougher around the edges, or more successful as, like, a piece of, like, dramatic... I mean, I don't want it to be, like, The Assistant, which is a movie I love, but it would be pretty brutal to have everything else happen around here. But, I mean, making it more like a Whiplash is an interesting idea, uh, this is less about the villain and more just about the movie in general. And maybe uh, uh, about the true villain, Adrian Grenier. Uh, <laughs> this does have, like, one of the more egregious, uh, quote-unquote, glow-ups. Where it's like, everyone's mad that she's, like, started dressing so well. And they're like, he's like, I don't recognize you anymore. And... The way that they describe Hathaway's character is like a fat slob who's always spilling soup on herself when she's like one of the more gorgeous women in a movie. It's like, obviously, this is the hack thing to say of like, she looked good before, but it is, they nail it so hard in this movie of like saying how, like, <laughs> truly, that they're like, Emily Blunt at one point is like, you're fat, you eat carbs, you're happier. Because I only eat, like, a brick of cheese. Which is, like, Blunt is funny and there's good stuff there. But it is just one of the things where it's, like, the... It, it's just crazy to imagine at the time, you know, this was the narrative being pushed of, like, Hathaway being ugly in the movie. Or, like, frumpy before just because she's, like, wearing a sweater. Yeah, and it's especially egregious because the Princess Diaries exist, in which it does a very good sure. job of selling Hathaway as, like, not being, like, one of the more attractive women up until she gets, like, her her makeover. So it's, like, there was, like, a model for how you could have her, like, present if you wanted to have this I image that she's going through a physical transformation during this job. But that being said, yeah. yeah. I still ultimately, like, I think I do enjoy this film as just kind of a comfort thing, and Streep is really good good in it, even as, like, she's maybe not, like, a villain, but certainly it's a very... Pa She's good at a conveying, like, you're like, oh, right, this is Meryl Streep. She can, like, just convey power with, by barely doing anything. And, like, and this is also one where I'm like, oh, yeah, I do, I do like Emily Blunt as an actress. Like, Yeah, I mean, it's hard to really point out, other than Grenier and maybe Simon Baker, who's, like, kind of just nothing, but... Largely well acted, I think Rich Summer and Tracy Toms aren't given a lot of great stuff, but they're fun as the friends in certain scenes, and Blunt is obviously really good, and plays maybe more of a, uh, a, a, a more, like, outwardly harsh version of Street, but also, like, very clearly, uh, going through it and, like, breaking down a lot, uh, and, it, and, you know, she's, like, uh, trying so hard to do everything perfectly, and Hathaway sort of stumbles into it. She's really the most sympathetic character in the movie, I think. Her, Tucci, and then, like, maybe uh, Priestley, which is, like, the thing of, like, Street's performance is so good, and it is the success of the movie that you are able to feel sympathetic to the quote-unquote villain, um... But also maybe to its detriment that it's like not that big of a leap for me to be like, yeah, I do like feel bad that she's getting divorced and like loses her best assistant. Um, but maybe she's like, you know, uh, the, this is 
brain warp my capitalism maybe and i should be just like on the side of her finding independence but i mean then she just goes to work at like a different publication um yeah so who knows yeah it's it's one of those things where like a movie like this because of its stakes uh Mm -hmm. has like has a really low ceiling that like there are movies that can like rise above it um like i mentioned earlier like whiplash is a movie that like again very like on paper low stakes but it's able to make it feel more intense but like a movie like this is kind of held captive by that a lot where it's like there's not a lot of tension that can be happening where it's like i think all of these characters are going to be fine worst case scenario um yeah yeah and like this movie but this movie does like is able to offer a few kind of nights little gut punches like with the stanley tucci character like even though that's set up really rushed it's like you like this guy Mm -hmm. he's like one of the only he's like one of the few people that's like really nice to like anne hathaway and like helps her and it's like you kind of feel that and like yeah yeah Yeah. also it's a similar thing to like how the um the abruptness of setting up and knocking down his story sort of undercuts uh, the emotion behind it. You get another one of those, I think, earlier where it's like Emily Blunt's crash makes me sad for that character that she gets hit by a car, but it is played so goofy in the movie where you see all the scars fly in the air and it's like during this phone call that she's calling her, it, 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 it undercuts it in a way. Similar to how the 2G one does. Yeah. And last, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't point out that we have one final Wahlberg connection. In this case, Adrian Grenier, of course, playing, like, the Wahlberg, like, XV Vinny Chase on the hit show Entourage. (laughs) Exactly right. There are moments where I feel like this is a movie that Vinny Chase would be in rather than a real movie. Um... (laughs) But I do think it, it like the movie. I, I I feel like I may have trashed it a bit. I think it's pretty slick. Uh, I I do think it is sitcommy. It reminded me a lot of like the way that the characters sort of act in their own bubble. Uh, reminded me. I don't know if either of you are familiar with the TV show Happy Endings, but there's a great joke on it where the group of friends uh, in a sitcom is like having this big chat where they're all like tagging each other's jokes and a guy in the room with them who's like an extra is just like shut the fuck up like you're so loud and it is just calling out the sort of uh uh sitcom trope i feel that in this movie where i'm like you should just be friends still just be an adult about this like it's not a big deal (laughs) why are you sad about your birthday go make another bad grilled cheese Vinny. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So, do we have anything else to say on the Devil Wears Prada? Uh, yeah. I feel like you know, this movie could have been greatly improved if um, I don't know, maybe if there was like a kiss between like a guy and like an anaconda or like a snake or some sort. But you know, yeah, you can't win them all. You know, maybe next yeah. time. Yeah, at the end, Adrian Gr- Grenier is just dating a snake now. Like it's. <laughs> 
Yeah. If when she like leaves the job, Meryl's like, okay, that's fine. Pulls a big lever, she falls into hell. <laughs> <laughs> this movie would have been so good if the ending stinger was that she's the actual yeah. devil. Uh, <laughs> or if it had, I wish like the devil's advocate there was like a last climax that took place like in probably hell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know what? Can't win them all. But she's just like in the office, like it's really warm in here. <laughs> yeah. Setting uh, it up the whole time. Yeah. Oh man. Um. Yeah. Uh. Now we kind of move on to our rankings. So. What we usually do is that we just rank the movies uh, from bottom to top, uh, all three of us. And then we do uh, the villains from bottom to top. Sure. Um, yeah. So how, how did the uh, movies uh, shake up with you? Um, so I think bottom to top, I go 300. Devil Wears Prada, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Saw 3. And then number one with a bullet, The Departed. Yeah, I feel like mine are shaking up pretty similarly. I think at the bottom, I have Saw 3. Um, I feel like this series, I really appreciate it. I'm probably going to binge through it one of these days. But it's, just, it, it's gross, but I feel like everything I get out of these movies, I could get out of just like Saw movie compilation traps YouTube. Um, and then above that, I would have The Devil Wears Prada. Um, definitely... I get the comfort movie vibe, but it's not my comfort movie. Um, right in the middle uh, is going to be 300. Just a freaking cool movie. Um, definitely, like, if I was rating it from, like, experience, it would probably be number one just because of how I watched it recently. But I feel like I'll dial back and I'll try and uh, tailor my expectations. Because I did actually watch it not in a gym uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, so that, from that experience from what I remember, I remember it being like a pretty cool movie, but not as, not as fun as the two that I have above it right now. And then above that, I would have probably Pirates of the Caribbean, um, Dead Man's Chest. Just again, really fun villain, really fun movie. Maybe the sword to sword combat isn't as good as the first one, but like the big set pieces are definitely bigger and set piecier, like the Kraken, the wheel, the ball cages. And then right at the top, pretty obviously is the departed, just what a solid, super duper fun movie. Like, like very, not like a, a deceptively simple premise that is just so fun and like set up rather quickly. And like, it's, it's baffles me how early on you kind of like understand who's on like what side, at least until like, obviously there's like a, a cascading reveal near the end but like how quickly you know like where leo and uh, matt damon stand and how long the movie is after that but still super engaging it's still super entertaining um yeah it's a phenomenal movie yeah and then for me at the bottom i have 300 again like it does not do much for me as a movie but it's really fun to look at and yeah, at its best, it taps into where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm like 13, 14 year old, year old again, and that's pretty cool. Um, but that's off three. Like, it's it's still fun, but definitely at a point where I'm like, oh, I'm sure by like four or five, I'd be at the point where I'm like, yeah, I don't want to watch these movies anymore. But hey, again, shotgun caller, it's cool. But above that, De- Devil Wears Prada. Definitely, like, I feel we were, like, pretty critical of it on the segment as well, but I do think it's, like, very good, like, yeah, 
halfway blunt Tucci street. Like, come on. It's, yeah, it's fun. But even though I do have to concede it would be better if Meryl Streep was playing the devil. Um, yeah. Then, yeah, above that, De Dead Man's Chest. Like, weakest of the original trilogy, but still, it's a lot of fun. Just a lot of good set pieces and a lot of good double crosses and betrayals. And then, yeah, gotta be departed for the top spot. Just a movie I definitely, like, wa as I was watching this, I'm like, like, oh my god, I love this. Like, it's just really strong, like, what can you say? Scorsese says winning. Um, but how did the villain stack up? Um, so for me, I would go... This is really a race to the bottom. I think I'm going to go... Meryl Streep at the bottom. <laughs> then Tobin Bell. Uh, oh no, sorry. Then Rodrigo Santoro. Then Tobin Bell. Then Bill Nye than Jack Nicholson. I think a very similar ranking to my movies. Um, but I, I, there's, I like the movies more than I like the villains, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. There's sometimes there's like, sometimes a great movie has like an awful villain and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 No, uh, I think for mine, I think I do have, uh, right at the bottom. I think I have, uh, Rodrigo Santoro, like, Again, like, the performance is really good, but I feel like the movie around it is, like, not utilizing it well. Which is the same thing could be said for the one I have right above that. Uh, Meryl Streep just giving an excellent yeah. performance. But just, like, the character and, like, it's just, like, it's one of those things where it's, like, it's one of those things where, like, usually when, like, the villain, it's, like, hard to tell if they're actually a villain. Like, usually that enhances the character. But I feel like in a movie, like, that is so low stakes, it ends up just becoming, like, a this is a weird nomination versus this is like a compelling villain is more just their um, interesting regular character. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Smack dab in the middle. I would have uh Tobin bells uh, in saw three again, like solid performance, just like the first and second, but like, just like in a bed for most fit. <laughs> um, and then my top two, I think I would have um, uh, Billy Nye, uh, Davy Jones, just what a fun voice. Like, the C and this is like half him and then also half like the CGI team like bringing this like probably horribly complex thing to animate to life and just making it look really good all these years later. And then my top spot is just like Jack Nicholson just like the centerpiece of this lovely movie and just like what just like also just like a kind of like funnish character where like you kind of he definitely has like the bravado of someone that is like on top of it all uh you know, just kind of this, like, kingpin-type person. Like, really love him. Yeah, and Feel Mine probably stacks up pretty similarly. Um, uh, uh, at the bottom, I think I have, like, yeah, just Ra Rodrigo Santoro, like, as you said. Cer Cersei's very charismatic, gets some cool moments, but yeah, it just does not really connect as, like, the vill villain of the p picture as much. Then, above that, yeah, T Tobin Bell, like, it's the only best villain performance, I am pretty sure, where the person is, like, lying down the whole time, and, again, he's, he's, it's impressive they still really good despite that, but this one where you're like, maybe you could have just given this one the Shawnee Smith, or just some other film. 
Uh, yeah, but above that, meh, yeah, Meryl Streep, which honestly higher than I like expected, but I think like it's yeah, I think just by virtue of she has more to do than like to- Tobin, and I do think it is like really impressive like how much she conveys as like Mir- Miranda by again, not doing anything like particularly like dramatic or yelling that like other non Meryl Streep actors might do, but just essentially by, like, talking like Meryl Streep the whole time and just being in charge. Then, above that, yeah, Davy Jones, like, Bill, Bill Nye, like, yeah. As I said, just a really cool villain, like, the voice is a lot of fun, the organ playing's a lot of fun, and, yeah, it is a shame that it's gonna be mostly downhill from here for, like, CGI villain. So, at least we get Angelina Jolie before that, and then... Top spot, yeah, you just gotta give it to Nicholson. Like, what more is there there to say? It, it's so crazy that, like, he just pulled this performance out, like, this late into his career, and... Yeah. Yeah, so that, so that about wraps it up for Best Villain 2007. We now come to the par- portion of the show, Recommendation of the Week, where we can recommend uh, whatever we want to our captive listeners there, um... So I don't know who wants to start, but uh, I can go first. Um, I have a couple, but I might I might save some for next time. Uh, so I guess the one thing I would recommend I have not finished it yet. I have not finished all of it, but what I've watched so far is really good. Uh, the movie or not the movie, the show Normal People. Um, okay. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. My friend Ian showed it to me with the pitch of like, oh, it's got. Phoebe Bridges's boyfriend in it and he's Irish and that was enough for me to go like put on the next six episodes and we'll watch it all right now um <laughs> and so yeah I've, I've, I think I'm on episode it's either five or six it's just this like very nice like probably going to get horribly sad tv show um just about like young love and then growing into slightly less young love um and then who knows what's next after the episode I've watched. Um, and yeah, it's just really cool. Watch normal people. Cool. Um, yeah, Colin, what do you got? Um, you know, I was going to recommend um, the film Ambulance. But I think I'm just going to steal... Uh, the idea of watching a movie while exercising. I did it for my own podcast. I was watching, uh, you know, po- problematic figure now, but I was watching Andrew Dominic's Killing Them Softly on a treadmill a few weeks ago. But I really like the idea of throwing on a movie and like hitting, like doing uh, like a kettlebell circuit as it's on is really uh, exciting to me. So I will steal that from <laughs> just what has been mentioned on the show. And recommend exercising, uh, like not doing cardio, but doing like, you know, like uh, lifts and yeah, like curls. CrossFit, like yeah. yeah, lifting, yeah, like plyometrics or something, something yeah. really, really intense while watching a movie uh, uh, is yeah. a good idea. Squat your max weight you can while watching the end of La La Land, so you feel you yeah. feel numb. <laughs> yeah. Cool. What about you, Kenny? Um. So. Taking advantage of the fact that this is going to be coming out in October, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, like, plug the film Decision to Leave, which I just saw at, kind of, the Calgary Film Festival there. It's by 
Parchan, look who did uh, Old Boy, The Handmaiden, just so, so many films, and it, it's this really, really good, really, like, entertaining, like, romantic thriller. It's a, yeah, it's about, basically, it's, it's about this detective who he is investigating uh, the, the murder of this guy, and his, yeah, and investigating his wife, who is heavily, like, a suspect, and slowly he develops feelings for her, and there's a lot of twists and turns. It's, like, really funny. I saw it just in a packed theater with a crowd, and it, and it's just, like, re really great, re really devastating, like, just really fun film, and it's gonna be out in, like, theaters, I think, by around the time this is coming out, or it'll have been there, and then it'll eventually be on, like, movie. So, yeah, go go watch that. It's And then, I guess I'll also say that my last, like, fancy choice is I've been watching a lot of Castle, the show where, like, Nathan Fillion is an author who solves crimes, and that's really fun as well. It, for different ways, uh, so watch a lot of Castle and then go see Decision to Leave, I guess is my recommendation this week. Um, but, yeah. yeah. Alright, well, that all takes us to the end. Uh, Colin, thank you so much for coming on. It was delightful to finally hey. get you. Just... Yeah, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I had a great time. Yeah, do you have anything you want to plug at this time? Uh, I mean, yeah, as you mentioned up top, you can listen to Can I Kick It Up podcast about film festivals or if you're in for something lighter you can listen to bevy of bevies which is a podcast i do with my friend where we uh review a drink in 20 minutes or less but lately it's been like 24 and uh wow, get done, bloated have you guys done milk yet we did chocolate milk oh, okay. we haven't done plain milk. Oh, okay um, well kind of a controversial episode oh no, i i'll listen to that when, once you get regular milk out i want to listen to them close uh, next to each other <laughs> yeah what we get coming up is pumpkin spice latte we uh we're, we're in the fall season Ooh la la. yeah and then if you want to follow me on uh, if anyone is listening that doesn't follow me on twitter uh you can do so uh i my i'm on twitter letterbox anything at gladly c-l-a-t-c-h-l-e-y great uh ben what do you got this week uh, yeah, uh, as always, I do have my Twitter, uh, at GAKGAK, G-H-A-K, G-H-A-K, and then in there, uh, in the bio of that is my link tree that has all of my everything. Uh, main thing that I post to frequently is my Instagram, where I do post, like, a daily drawing and gym photo. Um, I'm, the year is almost, it were a couple months away from it being the end of the year, and I, by the end, I would have posted, like, 332 or 30-some pictures but uh yeah i uh that is where i post mainly but i also post to twitter every time an episode comes out with a a funny related picture i think <laughs> i think for this episode which is going to be in a couple of weeks i think i am going to retweet it with that picture of um leonidas where his like ass is out and he has his hand he's just looking out <laughs> looking out upon uh his his kingdom <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that scene. Zack Snyder is really good at making making things look beautiful and epic, even if it's like a, a buck naked uh, Leonidas. Yeah, great. Um, and as always, you can find me on Twitter at like Wolverine. You can find me on Letterbox, also on like Wolverine. 
Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at Gold Popcorn Pod, our mostly defunct Instagram that I'm going to just keep plugging to where one day I'll remind myself to up, update it is Pass the Golden Popcorn. You can email us at Pass the Golden Popcorn at gmail.com if you are so inclined. And yeah, our. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Our theme song is by Matt Samard. Our artwork is by Ben. Um, we're hosted on FriendlyMush.com. If you like the show, rate, review, subscribe. And all that's left to do is talk about what's coming up next. Where, Because next week we got Best Villain 2008. And the nominees for that are uh, Javier Bardem, No Country for Old Men. Topher Grace, Spider-Man 3, Angelina Jolie, Beowulf, Denzel Washington, American Gangster, and the winner, Johnny Depp, Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. I mean, look, an anti-hero. Yeah, when you brought it up, when you're like, how they covered anti-heroes, I'm like, I think literally next week an anti-hero wins, so. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. a little, so that'll be a fun one. So, yeah, thanks for listening. Keep passing that golden popcorn, and as always, you're not going to Paris. <laughs> yeah, we. I guess it was Emily. <laughs> Unless you Paris. are going to Paris, just <laughs> <laughs> if you're already there. Yeah, first we we struck a chord with the Irish, and now we're gonna strike a chord with the French. Yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, goodbye, everybody. Hi, everybody. <laughs>